This morning we looked at um, the parable of the soils, as I prefer to call it, because it's really about the different types of soils, and especially as we enter into the new year and you and your responsibility to God's Word, and uh, how we need to be careful to be sure that we are incorporating that word into our lives. It's not magical. It doesn't just happen that uh, uh, God's word takes hold of your life and leads you and guides you and you ignore it throughout the days of the week. I'm not saying anybody does that. I'm just saying it takes work and it takes effort. And so here I want tonight to look at this section in uh, Psalm 19, basically uh, 17 through uh, through verse 11. Let's ask the Lord's blessings. I wish you pray for me, please, as I preach this text. Pray for yourselves. Likewise, you sit under the proclamation of God's word. Let's pray. <clears throat> Almighty God, we thank you that uh, we are again together this evening for the Lord's Day worship. To close out the day of the Lord uh, like this, I do pray again, Father, that you would burden others that could be here, that choose not to be here for one reason or another, and that you, Lord, would bless our time together this evening, uh, that it might be profitable for us as we leave here to have been together in the house of the Lord for worship. I ask you to be with me as I preach your word. I ask you to be with the congregation as they hear it. And pray, O oh God, that you would help us to be able to say at the end of this service how sweet are the words of our God to us, sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb, finer than fine gold. We pray in Jesus' name, O oh Lord. Amen. There are uh, many, many quotes uh, from films that uh, we often hear. Many of them are actually misquoted. For example, in Casablanca, she doesn't say, play it again, Sam. She says, play it, Sam. Play it as time goes by. And then you know that great quote from, uh, again, from Casablanca, of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, and she walks into mine. But then there's another quote that is in many different films and still not quoted correctly. And uh, if you remember the TV show, The Monkees, back in the 1960s, and I know most of you here at least do, and there was a scene, or a, uh, a scene when uh, the one played by, uh, was it uh, Mickey, I think, who's his name, and he said, um, what badges, we don't need no stinking badges. Well, that's not what was said in Casablanca. I mean, in uh, Treasure of the Sierra Madras, uh, Humphrey Bogart is asking this uh, bandito uh, who says he's a federale where his badges are. And he says, badges? We ain't got no badges. We ain't got no badges. We don't need to show you no stinking badges. Well, in life, in life, we think we don't need directions. How many times have I been trying to put something together and ignore the directions and end up having to go back and take it apart again by recognizing I left something out? We don't need no stinking directions. Well, as a matter of fact, we need lots of directions in our life. And that's one thing that this uh, this uh, text deals with uh, this evening. Uh, we need guidance. And we need help. 
And we need guidance and we need help for several reasons. One thing is we live our lives before the God who is holy, the God who is just, the God to whom we shall give an account. And he cares how you live your life. Listen to this. He cares what you think. He cares what you do. He cares how you live. And these strange notions that we have at times of this is what God would have me to do, when we make those decisions or come to those conclusions apart from Scripture, it is nothing more than guesswork. Now, granted, there are things in life, decisions that we have to make, where God doesn't plainly tell us where to live. God did not tell me to move back to Houston. I thought he was telling me not to move back to Houston. So he did not tell me to move back to Houston. So you make the decision by looking at his providence, by praying, by looking at the circumstances, by hearing the people. And I was convinced, at least when I was 30, it was 31 years ago now, when I made the decision to move out to come to Houston, uh, that this was God's will for me. As the call was unanimous, look at all those different things, you make a decision. But you base it upon, so far as you can tell, what God's will is for your life. But there are practical things, minute things, uh, things that we make decisions about day in and day out, and God speaks to those things. He addresses those things. And he does so not through dreams, not through murky urges. He does so through the Scriptures, through his holy word. And how good and wise it is for us to pay attention to that and to give heed to the scriptures. So what happens to see this this evening, since the word of God is effectual in promoting and providing for us direction in life and making proper decisions before him, we do well to treasure the word and to bring the word to bear upon every aspect of our life. It is terribly wrong to think that here is an area of my life that God has no say in it or God doesn't care what I do here. He does care. It's if like if, if one of my boys ever said to me, you're a grandchild, and here's a place in my life you don't care what I do. That's not true. I care about every aspect of my children's life, every one of them. I care what they do. I care if they're happy. I care if they're hurting. I care. And I'm not a great parent. God's a perfect parent, and he cares. So the first thing then to bring to your attention is the nascence of the Word of God, and all that means is the origin of the Word of God. Uh, where did it come from? We know that from this morning. You know it because you've heard it many, many times that the Bible finds its origin in God himself. You think about that. When you open up the Scriptures, you are reading the mind of God. When you open up the Bible... You're reading God's revelation of himself and of his plan for redemption. And you will find no message anywhere in the entire world about redemption except through the scriptures, except through the word of God. And it is God's word that we read when we open the pages of the Bible. Now, granted, we know that it came to us through men who wrote it. We know that because we are told so. We also know that as you read one writer as opposed to another writer, as juxtaposed to another writer, that you can see the differences in the vocabulary, style of writing. If you read a sermon that I wrote and you read a superior sermon that Ken wrote, uh, did you get that, Ken? A superior sermon, did you get that, Ken? Uh, then you could recognize that there were two different styles of writing. 
uh, people do not write the same. You can read Isaiah, and you can read Jeremiah, and you can see the differences in vocabulary, the differences in style of writing. You can see that in the New Testament as well. But even though that's the case, we still know that the Word of God came to us by the revelation and inspiration of the Holy Spirit working in the hearts and minds of individuals, suppressing sin so that what we have is a reliable word that is infallible and inerrant. God's holy word. And it is the rule of life for all people. Whether they admit it or not, it doesn't matter. Can you imagine having a God that had these people over here that said, we're not going to pay attention to what your word says. And he said, it's okay with me. That's fine. Because how many people in the world really care nothing for uh, the scriptures? And you understand this, the word of God is unique. It is not like the Koran. They're not on equal footing at all. The Koran is an understanding and expression of a man who was a sinful individual. God's word is given by inspiration of God. What does Jesus say? Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And so then all people uh, have to give heed to the scriptures because it is given to us by the word of God. And yet uh, we are blinded by nature, by our sin. We tend to be self-centered. We tend to want to fulfill our own self-interest. And there are times, if you are honest about yourself, when God's Word may impinge upon something you want to do, and you would just as soon not know that, because you so badly want to do the opposite of what God calls you to do. And we find people doing that all the time. Even in the church, we find people doing that. And going off on the direction that God forbids, and what we find happening is ruin follows. Ruin follows and heartbreaks happen after that type of thing takes place. So we are to give heed to the Bible because we need it so desperately because we are blinded by sin, we are plagued by sin, and we are harassed by sin as well. And quite frankly, we are made dumb by sin when it comes to the things of God. Blind and dumb. And then we find ourselves grappling uh, with trying to bring ourselves under the authority of the Scriptures. And yet the simple fact is that we live under the authority of the Bible. We live on the authority of God. All people do. No matter what language they speak, no matter where they live, they live under the authority of the triune God and under the authority of that word, because it is by that word that judgment shall come. It's by the word of God that judgment shall come upon the world. And the standard that they'll be measured up against is the law of God. Did you worship idols? Yes, you stand condemned. Did you take the Lord's name in vain? Yes, you stand condemned. Did you commit adultery? Yes, you stand condemned. And for those who are outside of Christ, there's no recourse. There's no recourse. For the one who is a Christian, for the one who knows the name of Christ and yet fails miserably, even committing something as horrendous as adultery, there stands Christ in His place who took the condemnation of the law upon Himself on the cross of Calvary. And so though they have broken the law of God on that day, Christ will say, they belong to Me. 
They're innocent because of my righteousness imputed and given to them. Even though that law has been broken, and if we're honest with ourselves, all of us have violated the commandments in one way or another. Do you love the Lord your God with all of your heart, all of your soul, all of your strength, and all of your mind? The answer is no, you don't. There are there times when you live your life in such a way as to bring dishonor to the name of God and you say yes? Well, that's taking the Lord's name in vain if you live your life as if you're not a Christian at all. So these words of God, the law of God that is given to us in the Scripture, it has authority over us. It tells us how we are to live our lives. It tells us the way of salvation. Deuteronomy 29, 29. How many people know Deuteronomy 29, 29? Part of it. Well, I can't quote it. <clears throat> Deuteronomy 29 is a great, it's a great verse. Uh, and I would recommend you bring it to mind. The secret things belong to our God. We don't know everything. And you know, if you sit and contemplate and try to figure some stuff out that's only God knows, you'll drive yourself crazy. You simply cannot come to a conclusion about some things. Again, Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever, that we may do the words of the law. So here are the psalmists, the nascents of the word of God. They come from God himself. He is the source of the scriptures. And how magnificently impressed we should be that God loves us so much, He condescended so much, and has throughout the ages preserved His Scriptures for us. It's reliable. Remarkable that God has kept His Word true, but then again, not so much remarkable at all, considering our God. And then also the nature of uh, the Word of our God. It comes from Him. It is the testimony of the Lord. It is God's self-witness. The precepts of the Lord. Notice the words that are used here. Uh, notice how many times the word the name Lord is used here. It is used in verse seven. It is used twice in verse seven. It is used in verse eight twice, and it's also used again twice in verse nine. Speaking of the Bible, speaking of the Word of God, and consider the adjectives that we see here in these texts. The law of the Lord is perfect. Free from corruption, free from all aspects of sin, covering all aspects of life. The testimonies of the Lord are sure. They're certain. They're bound to come to pass. God's bound to be faithful to His Word so that when we begin to wonder, is there going to be a resurrection? Is Christ really going to come back again? It's been so terribly long. And remember what the Bible says, a thousand years to the Lord is like a day. A day is like a thousand years. It is irrelevant. God keeps His promises. The Word of the Lord is pure. The Word of the Lord is true. It is sure. It is fixed. It is indeed going to come to pass. The precepts are right. The commandments free from any taint of lawlessness. 
And so that if we want to know if we're pleasing God in the way that we live and the way that we're thinking, where do we go? Well, we go to the Scriptures and we're instructed there by God's Word. Oh, that's beautiful. The Lord, the law of the Lord is perfect. Testimony of the Lord is sure. Making wise, the simple, the precepts are right. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. All of these things. You see the benefits here that are ours, that are contained in the Bible. And all we have to do is open it up and read it. Or turn on the radio and listen to R.C. Sproul uh, preaching as we listen to him this morning in Sunday school. Uh, it's amazing. Uh, he looks so young. I guess he was terribly young when that was made. But all of those are just so good, so worthwhile, worthwhile listening to. And so, again, they're perfect, they're sure, they're right, and they are pure. And the effects of this is wonderful in the life of those who would read it and study it. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul, encouraging us. One of the most challenging things, at least in my life, and one of the most difficult things in my life to deal with uh, is uh, at the grave. That's a hard one. You have people you love so much. They're a part of your life. You're attached to them. And they're gone. You can't call them. You can't touch them. You can't hug them. You can't kiss them. You can't see them. They're gone. But the comfort that we have as God's people comes to us from the Scriptures. The great comfort that comes to us from the Word of God. That we know where they are if they've died in Christ. And we know that we will see them again because God promises us that in the Scriptures. You see, that's, that's a sense of being revived being revived, and here we're downcast, and here we're terribly sad, and here we come to the Scriptures, and you go to 1 Corinthians 15 where Paul says, some of you are saying there's no resurrection from the dead. We'll have to understand this. If there's no resurrection from the dead, Christ is not raised either. Follow your logic. And if Christ is not raised, we of all people are to be pitied more than any other group. He says, but now... Christ is risen from the dead. Ah, a crescendo of hope. Love that. But now Christ is risen from the dead. You see, we read that when we lose someone and we read of the certainty of the resurrection and that should be encouraging to us that everyone that we've lost in this congregation will be brought forth from the dead by the power of the resurrected Christ raised imperishable. Never to face temptation again. Never to face death again. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? Thanks be to God who gives us the victory in Christ Jesus. Such is the power of our great God and the power of the resurrected Savior. Oh, there is that power in the Word of God, that comfort in the Word of God to revive the soul. Making wise the simple, it says here, the simple-minded. 
Those who don't know really what God is like. Those who don't know what's the best thing to do. And here we read, if we go to the Bible, it tells us. Remember Peter talking to Jesus. So and so offended me today, Lord. Did you see that? Did you see what he said to me? Did you see that? Should I forgive him seven times? That would be a good thing to do. Seven times. Oh, he's probably feeling magnanimous. What does Jesus say? No. 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 Seventy times seven. And you don't count that up and add up when you keep, count, keep a record and they say, oh, okay, now that I'm at this number, it's all over with now. That's not the point. What Christ is saying to him, you forgive and you forgive and you forgive. Imagine this. What if God had... In his register, uh, a, a number of times he would forgive us. And when you reach that number, it's all over with. And so your representation at Calvary is gone. You know, Christ no longer died for you. And uh, you are now saying under God's wrath and condemnation. That's stupid. Well, I shouldn't say that. That's bad theology. Because it's not in the Bible. So we read in the scriptures then that we are to forgive and we are to forgive continually. Even as God and Christ has forgiven us. Reading the scriptures. So there it is again. That testimony. That precept. The commandments. And these things that we learn from God. That they are in the scriptures. And we learn how we are to live. And we learn how we are to forgive. The effects of the word of God are absolutely wonderful. You know the problem is. The problem comes in when we don't believe it. The problem comes in when we don't care. It's like in Isaiah. When the people are under conviction, they say this. Stop confronting us with the holy God of Israel. Stop telling us we're in sin. Stop confronting us because we do not want to hear it. Imagine some churches today where the gospel's not preached, where the word of God is not believed. Imagine Joey Piper getting up in that pulpit one Sunday and unleashing all that Joey has to unleash and calling those people. I'd rather be Joey than myself. Call those people to account. He would not win a popularity contest. There are too many churches in our country, even in our city, where the word of God is not believed and it's not read and it's not preached. And you got people who were going to hell comfortably. Because they're convinced that they're good with God. Well, what's happened? Well, they have forgotten Psalm 19. They have forgotten the authority of Scripture. They have forgotten uh, what it is uh, to be convicted by the word of God and to rejoice in the word of God. That God's a God of grace and a God of redemption, and we rejoice before him because of his goodness and kindness to us. And the last thing, which has already come out, and this as well as the necessity of, of the word of God, uh, how we need the scriptures, how we need the word of God in our lives day in and day out. Because uh, we tend to wonder, oh, well, I love that line, that him be near when I'm dying. Oh, shall thy cross to me. 
great hymn. So if we are those who think that we don't need instruction, like uh, we don't need no stinking badges, we do need instruction. And we need to be those who read the Bible, remember, as Sproul said, existentially. And he goes on to this. Who can discern his errors? Declare to me, declare me innocent from hidden faults. In other words, the ways I've sinned in my life against you without being realizing it. Forgive me for those things. And uh, keep me from presumptuous sins. Then I shall be blameless and innocent of great transgression. I love this last verse. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The one that I stand upon for comfort and support. The one that upholds me in the midst of the storm. The one that brings me comfort in the midst of my guilt. Oh, Lord, help me, we would say, uh, to lean upon Christ, praise you for him, and to lean upon your word, O oh God, that instructs me in how I might live my life in such a way that you delight in my actions. And that's where we should be. We give sin no quarter. None whatsoever. And yet we are tempted every day, are we not, to do just that. To treat our wives in ways that are not loving and kind. To speak ill of friends. To grumble at God's providence. To complain about what we don't have instead of being thankful and praising God for what we do have. And we have the scriptures to reel us in and cause us to focus afresh on the good things. And that is the things that God has for us and the way that God loves us and the way God has provided for our salvation. In the years, uh, in the months to come, and by God's grace, the years to come for all of us, I hope, uh, hope we're all here 25 years from now. I don't know if I will be, but hope y'all are. And that as you live tomorrow and the next day, you can be able to say with the psalmist, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my redeemer. The way they would do that is by coming to this conviction of the psalmist uh, that the uh, word of God is sweet, that it is pleasant, that is desirable, even more than much fine gold, sweeter than the drippings of the honeycomb. That's how we have to see the Bible, as David did here in this psalm. May God give us the grace to do just that. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, our God, that it is to us a uh, reviving us to our soul. It is to make us uh, uh, wise who are simple-minded. It is to rejoice our heart. It is, Lord God, to enlighten our eyes and to grant to us understanding. You know, God, enduring forever. Uh, we know you have made promises to us. We'll keep those promises. Help us, Lord, we pray, out of our unbelief and to affirm, stand upon the truth of Scripture. And we thank you for your grace and forgiveness in Jesus. We pray in his name. Amen.